I placed a call to my agent and uh, and I asked him, I said, hey man, I got this best seller from Walter Isaacson and I've got the, one of the most famous people ever and it's an amazing story. We have a killer script. I have a great partner. And I said, I really think we have something special here. Can we take this out? And he said, no, it's not enough. Welcome friends to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again and enjoy the show. Here I am today, high above Beverly Hills in the offices of EUE Sokolow, uh, joined by Sam Sokolow. What's up, Noah? What's up, Sam? <laughs> What's up, world? This is going to be a little different because not only are we talking about a scripted show, which is new to this podcast, but I have just one guest today. Sam is a producer who got his, I mean, he got his start in indie film, but first jobs in LA and really made his reputation known in LA producing Unscripted mm -hmm. and has recently transitioned into producing all kinds of things. But the most recent success that I think most people will know coming from this from this shop is, is the work of Genius, which is the show that we're going to talk about today as I stare at a poster of Albert Einstein, Jeffrey Rush over here on the wall. Season two, Genius, Pablo Picasso. Mm -hmm. uh, season three, recently announced, Mary Shelley. And from everything I understand, it's a really incredible journey that took a decade, uh, started off with book rights, turned into a possible movie, before finally winding up at Nat Geo. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think anything that you develop in this business, be it uh, a film, even non-scripted TV, certainly scripted television takes a while. Uh, nothing happens overnight. You know, they're the, they're the occasional, had an idea and was in a position to do something about it moments that, that things can kind of accelerate. Uh, but the journey with this one particular project started with Walter Isaacson's book. Um, my partners in New York, uh, um, Chris Cooney and, and his brother Jeff Cooney, uh, had been working on developing that book with Odd Lot Entertainment, uh, Gigi Pritzker's company and, and her uh, creative team like Rachel Shane, um, who I worked closely with on, on, on kind of birthing the Einstein television property and, and, and what became genius, uh, there was an initial inclination on their side to do it as a feature. And they had were trying that for a while. Um, and when I got involved in the conversation, they had already been at it for a while. So that, that added to that portion of the story, several years of trying to figure out a way to crack the code and, and do Einstein's life as a feature. And television had evolved uh, into a platform. It's always ebb and flow. So limited series were on the uptick. Uh, they hadn't been for a while, but Hatfields and McCoys happened on History Channel. And um, and even, I, I forget who, I think uh, Adrian Brody played Harry Houdini in, in a limited series. And I just became part of the conversation with them that we should maybe think about this medium. But my argument really that I think became most compelling wasn't just the business opportunity, but was the creative argument that, that, you know, this was a 10 hour 
piece. And and when I first started talking to Rachel Shane uh, at Odd Lot about it, you know, she was there. Like this is this is ten hours for television. I really think this is ten hours if we're going to give TV a shot. And what 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 we had talked about early on, and what I kind of had an initial spark to, was the idea of telling the unexpected story of Einstein's life as a young man. Um, literally something that I felt a little bit of a spiritual connection to, certainly not in terms of his brain power or ability to, to understand or, or envision physics, but in terms of being a young man who's kind of pissing his dad off and getting kicked out of school and has a big dream and people don't think it's reasonable. And that volatile young time I, I really got, and I think a lot of people would get, and that just by the nature of telling that part of the story well, you couldn't just do that in 10 minutes on your way to telling the, the bomb, which you have to tell. So that would pull a movie in that direction. So once we started opening it up, the 10-hour format became uh, the thing that we knew to aim towards. And uh, Rachel has um, worked with someone at Odd Lot named Melissa Rucker. Melissa at the time was, you know, kind of a, a writer whisperer and had lists of all these amazing writers. And there was a writer named Noah Pink that she had been tracking. Um, and we met with Noah and he blew our minds. He really got it and had it figured out. You just know, it, you know, in that same way, you know, when you're casting or, or even when, you're, when you meet someone that you like or whatever, you just, we knew he was the writer. Um, so we hired Noah, he wrote the pilot and, and an outline for 10 episodes. And that became the basis for, 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 uh, what ultimately became genius. So th there were several years of this prior to sort of my getting involved in the television development. And then from the time we really said, let's do this as a TV show that this 10 hour format makes sense. Um, it was probably two years until Ron Howard said yes. And then it was on the air in about a year. Got it. Yeah. All right. Right. So there were many, many steps here. Yeah. So I guess there is a there is a history of the show that clearly even predates you. What do you, I mean, thinking back into those years before you came on board, I mean, they had to get the rights to the book. And then do you have any sense of what that cost them? Was it really just more labor? It, no, it was it was uh, I'm not going to share facts and figures, but sure. it was a it was a healthy deal. Right. It was real. It was a very significant book about, you know arguably the most famous name in history. I mean, maybe there's five or six others that you can kind of throw out there that everybody just knows. Um, and his story was incredible. Uh, and Walter Isaacson, who wrote the book, is a, you know, he wrote the Steve Jobs book that became uh, that movie and, and the, the quintessential Ben Franklin uh, autobiography. He just wrote uh, one on Da Vinci that, that Leonardo DiCaprio optioned to do as a film. So, it, you know, he's significant. Right. Um, and clearly so, attracted to a certain type of story and personality. He loves curiosity. Sure. That was kind of his thing. He was like into the most curious people. Uh, and so, you know, there was a, there was a big option on the book that that uh, that my partners, the EUE um, uh, screen, you know, screen gems to pair a company, EUE Sokolo, that they did with Oddlot initially. And that, you know, that that just gave us the right to try to figure this out. And, and, you know, that's an interesting thing is you track a book. Um, this is a large part of what I do now, day to day. You see a book that you think has potential either about a subject, a person, or a narrative novel, and you, you kind of see a TV show there. And then you have to go through a real, you know, uh, effort to find if the rights are available, who controls them, 
get in touch, start negotiating a deal, actually get a deal done, uh, um, you know, close that deal. And then once you have that book, it's usually for, you know, anywhere from nine to 18 months. Uh, and the clock starts ticking right away that you need to crack this code and figure out a way not just how to tell that story for television, um, but then how to create a piece of business around it that is worthy of somebody wanting to invest in it. So you have to figure out a way to get it out on paper enough that either a star or a director or some bigger producer that has a deal somewhere, something that all of a sudden gets it in kind of with the momentum required to get a network to say, yeah, this is worth them investing tens of millions of dollars in marketing muscle time. You know, these things, they take so long. As you know, any, anything that you're producing is on the air six, nine, 12 months later. So it's a, it's a, it's a really big investment on the network and, and studio side. Um, so it's always a journey. But, but, you know, our job is to get that book, and, and that, takes, that takes a while, too. Right, but like you said, it's your job is to get the book, but that's just getting you to first base, that's right? right? So to get to second base, you've got to hire this writer. I mean, did Noah do it on spec? Or no, I mean, no, you no. had to pay him real money, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, we did. Right, uh, and so that's just coming out of your own funds, or Nacho's not involved yet? No, no, no. This was, this, at that time, it was a totally independent project between Iwi Sokolo and Oddlot. Um, we hired Noah together. Uh, he, you know, is a real, real person with managers and agents and, and, and tremendous talent and vision. Um, so we made a deal with Noah, you know, and he wrote this script and we nurtured it. A lot of note sessions and thoughts and very uh, deep conversations, in, in, which is a part of the business I love, uh, nurturing a script, being on a team of people that have great ideas and writers that know how to uh, hear ideas and then actually implement them within the text. Um, and, uh, and so that, that went on for a few months. Uh, and actually at that moment, um, I placed a call to my agent, uh, who was, a uh, at the time, one of the co-heads of the CATV packaging department had put together a lot of really significant programming. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, Hey man, I got this best seller from Walter Isaacson and I've got the, one of the most famous people ever and it's an amazing story. We have a killer script. I have a great partner, you know, an odd lot and they had made movies as well as television and I said, I really think we have something special here. Can we take this out? And he said, no, it's not enough. You need a director because in a limited series, there's never going to be a pilot. So no one can just invest a couple million dollars and see how it is. They have to invest the full freight, which on 10 hours of period piece, you know, drama is expensive. So he said, nobody's going to get behind it without that vision. So we then had to go find a director to, to, you know, package in to the property. And a director who will do all 10 hours here. No, no, the, the, uh, not necessarily. I mean, there are times where that happens. Um, I think Jean-Claude Vallée directed all of Big Little Lies, and yes. I think Carrie Fukugawa directed all of the first season of True Detective. In in our case, Ron directed the pilot and set in motion uh, the vision for the show, um, and then the, the key elements, the crew stayed intact, the cinematographer and set designer, costume designer, lighting directors, all of the people that understood then what the vision for the show was, um, and, a, and a tremendous 
wonderful group of talented directors then came on uh, and 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 directed the back nine, um, including Ken Biller, the showrunner, uh, who's really brought this whole series to life in 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 such an uh, incredible way. Um, Ken directed, I, I believe, the last two episodes of last season and the first of this season. Um, and so there's a continuity to the vision uh, and just world-class talent at every at every stop. All right, so your agent tells you you need the director. Yeah. You don't yet have Ron Howard. Obviously, that's you know about as, as big of a director as you can get for this. But so where do you where do you go from there? What year also was it? I mean, so the book, I, was, no, book was written in 2007. The book was written in 2007. This would have been 2015. Okay. Um, we, Rachel and I were spearheading that director search and, um, you know, we had resources and relationships, uh, uh, both to, uh, to pull from. Um, but we went into the holiday season without a director. And I actually remember going away for the, the, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year, uh, uh, holiday, like I do every year down to South Carolina to visit my wife's family. Um, and it's a real, it's a, a real escape from Hollywood, uh, in a, in a wonderful way. And I'm, I get to do a lot of thinking down there. And, and I remember thinking like, wow, I'm, I'm this close to what I feel like is something special. This is a really big hurdle. I, I hope we're going to get over this hurdle. I believe we are. And, you know, and I, and I got myself very spiritually geared up to come back here and find a director because I knew that, you know, as a quick tangent, my father taught me a lesson when I told him I wanted to be a producer, which is that you don't really work for money in Hollywood. You work for moments and you'll be grossly underpaid before certain moments and grossly overpaid after certain moments. But your job is to create moments that get people's attention or kind of change the conversation about you or about what you're capable of. And I knew that if we could pull this off, it would be a big moment and, 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 or had the potential to be a big moment. Um, and, uh, and so it came back really geared up and I called Rachel, you know, right out of the cannon at the beginning of 16. And, uh, and she said, yeah, you know, don't get your hopes up too high, but I had dinner with a friend of mine who's an executive at Imagine Entertainment over the holiday. And this came up and she said, Ron has been trying to figure out Einstein on his own for a while. He's kind of, uh, whether the word was obsessed or loves Einstein, whatever it was, but very into this story as well. Um, and so he, she said, I sent it to her. So we waited a little bit and then word was he was reading it. And we re- waited a little bit, you know, never having expectations. You got to keep yourself centered and and in check, but you certainly start to think of what if, uh, and then we got a call one day that, you know, Ron wanted to meet. Uh, and we, we brought, uh, Noah, he lived in, in uh, Toronto. He came into LA and we went and met and, and what was really cool was that, uh, you know, Ron was prepared and excited and, you know, I know he respected the fact that I was in the room and that Rachel was in the room and that we had nurtured this, but he wanted to find a creative connection and he did with Noah. And they really had uh, a, a very cool conversation and, and you could see that they were seeing the same show. Um, and, you know, it, it ver- literally within 72 hours of that meeting, we pretty much were on our way doing this with Nat Geo and Fox Studios and, 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 uh, and, and it had become genius 
uh, a bigger series that would not just be 10 hours of Einstein, but a different genius every year, um, which was, uh, a, 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 I will say, a brilliant idea uh, that uh, Brian Grazier had and, and said, I think there's something bigger here. You know, there's, there's a way to tell a lot of amazing stories like this if this works. So that, all of a sudden, the, you know, the, 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 the seas parted and, and the moment happened. The moment happened. And they wanted to be on air very quickly. I mean, that, that all was in February into March of 16, and the show premiered in April of 17. You know, Einstein last year, and uh, Picasso premiered April of 17 this year. So we're on a it's a it's pretty amazing schedule. Uh, and again, I, I have to tip my hat to Ken Biller, the showrunner, and and the team of people that are you know bringing another amazing season to life in a pretty intense schedule. And and you know Mary Shelley already uh, I know being being kind of figured out. So it's uh, it's an impressive it's an impressive thing to be a part of obviously but it's an impressive thing to watch and see happen as well just as a producer okay let's talk about the pitch process right because you said ron howard 72 hours later you're pretty much on your way with nat geo did you pitch at other places or was there some insight that this was the thing they'd been looking for why them and why so quickly it's a it's a great question i mean we we had the um conversation you know in that first meeting of where this should go and at the time, Imagine Entertainment was in a deal with Fox Studios. Uh, so I, having been through a bunch of, you know, frustrating experiences as an independent producer, but who might set a show up at a studio, but then the show ended up sort of developed and right for a network that that studio didn't necessarily do business with easily. And uh, I'd, I'd seen some some really terrific opportunities sort of slip through the cracks because the corporate mandates weren't aligned. Um, and so I, in my contribution to the conversation, certainly not the decision maker, sole decision maker in this process. At that point, you have, you know, some really amazing, brilliant people on this and, and it's a team sport. Um, but for my two cents... I just looked at the roster of Fox Networks and figured the Einstein brand, especially if done by, you know, the team of, you know, Ron Howard and Brian Grazier and Ron directing, and uh, the, that that was something that deserved a platform worthy of Einstein and that creative team uh, and vision. Um, and I just went through the Fox list at first and, you know, personally didn't necessarily think this was coming on after The Simpsons the way that it was sort of thought of and I didn't think FX really was the home for it and I had just read that Fox had invested uh, uh, you know 10 figures or 9 figures uh, in the high nines into Nat Geo and that Courtney Monroe the new CEO of Nat Geo was looking for a scripted property to be their first scripted series and they wanted something really big and uh, something that really made sense for them. And I just, I, I, when, when the conversation was happening, um, you know, I just threw out Nat Geo. So they, they got, they're funded and they're, they have a, a fantastic leader who's looking for what, you know, I guess you could refer to as their house of cards if they were Netflix or what have you, but you know, something that says, this is, this is the business we're now in. Um, 
So, you know, there were other networks discussed and everybody had an opinion, but I, that was my one, you know, I wasn't arguing for five other places. I said, I just think this is worth thinking about. And very quickly, uh, they had pulled together a meeting with the Nat Geo, uh, you know, uh, team of, of uh, Courtney and Carolyn Bernstein and, um, and uh, the Fox Studios team and Brian and Ron and us and Noah. And we had this meeting like 48 hours later. And in that room, everybody kind of said, let's do it. So it, we didn't really get the chance, nor necessarily did we want it, but we didn't really have the chance or the need. Those things happen rarely, I think, but that was one of those moments where, I mean, there were things said in that room that are still happening two years later of just in terms of the commitment and the marketing uh, muscle behind the show and the vision for the show and the way to tell these stories and the, um, the bar being set with the Nat Geo brand and the, uh, the internet existing in general and the people that were, uh, that were using, uh, that whose lives were, were, were telling these stories that we have to get everything right. You know, there's not a lot of leeway to get the facts wrong. And I remember Ron saying that in the first meeting and, you know, from, from the friends that I have in the, on the history side of the world, they, they tell me in the scientific side and now the art side that we're getting it right or, or the show is getting it right. And so, you know, I think it was one of those really unique meetings where, uh, as opposed to this, where I'm doing a lot of talking at a certain <laughs> moment, I just put my finger on my chin and was like, yeah, don't, don't fuck this up. Yeah. Don't, don't know, say something that's going to change, make him change their mind. I thought, I thought in the middle of the meeting, I thought my dad's looking down at me right now saying he finally shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it, it just, it was really magical. I mean, it, it happened. And, and then very soon after, uh, Ken Biller came in and, and became the showrunner. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, 11 months later, we're premiering, you know, at the Tribeca Film Festival in 17. And, and you know, the show is now is now cooking. Right. It's a thing. You go, you get Jeffrey Rush, and it just takes on a momentum. And set a template to have, you know, Oscar-winning and Oscar-nominated people involved in every season. Yes. Good. I know. And, and I got to say, I think uh, that, that, you know, the performance Antonio Banderas is giving is up there with any I've ever seen on television. And what Jeffrey brought to the table uh, and, and what the other actors, uh, you know, who play the younger versions of both Einstein and Picasso, I mean, remarkable talent. The cast, some of this cast has returned. Uh, uh, Samantha Colley, unbelievably talented. Um, and, you know, there's, there's just a high bar across the board. But certainly when it comes to the lead character, you have such an amazing opportunity to bring somebody to life that, that everybody knows but nobody really knows. And I think, I, I hope for an actor, that's, that's always a challenge that they want to uh, take on. And I know for the creative team, uh, you know, Ron and, and, and Ken and, uh, and Brian and, and, and everybody involved on that side, the studio and the network, um, you know, they want to create that, that environment, that, that this, is, this, is, this is always going to be an experience that you're going to feel like you're doing your best work and bringing to life somebody so compelling that you have the chance to really do that and and you know i think i think that's what's going on when you're creating the permanent record for this person in many people's eyes right so you can't screw that up no <laughs> hopefully not all right so as mentioned earlier you really cut your teeth in unscripted now you have a ton of success in scripted i think a lot of people would be curious to you know hear your sort of your 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 take on the differences between the two because i'm sure there are many mm -hmm. 
And just, you know, the process you just laid out was a decade, right? Unscripted is taking more and more time by the day, but certainly doesn't come anywhere close to 10 years. I mean, what would be, you know, your, your gut take on, on the, the major differences and the major similarities between the two genres? Uh, I think in a simple terms is it's kind of like switching high schools, hmm. you know, and maybe you're going to a slightly more expensive high school where, you know, maybe, uh, again, it's, it's not better or worse. It's just, you know, the homework's a little harder and the reading is a little more and, and all that. But it's like going to a new high school. You have to learn all new groups of people. You have to make new friends. You have to nurture new relationships. You have to find your footing. And that was, you know, I think that was conceptually the hardest part for me as a producer. I, I, I believed in my ability to sell things and I believed in my ability to recognize potential in projects, properties. Um, I, I knew I had a lot to learn, uh, but it was, it was nurturing relationships with people that I had not worked with prior. Right. And your reputation didn't precede you. In yeah. Same way. And, and in a way fair or not, uh, if you have a lot of non-scripted credits or only non-scripted credits, you're not always taken, uh, with the same, merit in the scripted world as people that have long standing scripted credits. And it may be the same the other way. You know, I, and I'm sure it is. I'm sure if you've written on law and order for 15 years and now you want to go do a reality show, there's, there's a machine over there. That's like, well, who are you? And do you really know how to do this? And maybe if you want to try it, you got to partner up with people who do know how and we got to put you with people that do know how. And so, um, and so it was really about having, I think the time to, learn a whole new side of the business, a whole new group of people. Um, we also at, at first decided to take our development money and then some other money that we were fortunate enough to bring to the table um, to kind of take a, a non-scripted approach, which was to do sizzle reels for single camera comedies. And we actually started producing right out of the gate sizzle reels for, for single camera comedies that CA would bring us quality writers that had real credits that were worthy of getting behind a show and they'd have some great idea that they couldn't get out of the gate and they wanted to show it. And we'd say, all right, I'm like, I come from the scissor rail side. Let's cast it. Let's go shoot for two days. Let's cut five minutes. And let's say here, here's the show. And the very first one we did, we sold to NBC and it ended up not getting on air. I learned a lot about the difference between selling a show and getting on air, uh, which in the non-scripted side, I think happens too, but a lot more on the scripted side. They buy a lot more than, than the shows that really go forward. Um, but we did it. All of a sudden at this new little engine that could company, we had a show set up at NBC. Do you think that's because people would prefer to watch five minutes of something than read a script? They're reading so many scripts already. I mean, what outside of the fact that I'm sure it was very well done, but as that approach, other people weren't doing things like that? Not really. I mean, again, this was, this was now seven years ago, so I know more of that's been done. Uh, this, this was also before Lillehammer. I mean, this was before Netflix did a show. Mm -hmm. So we were... We were trying to make sales material that someone could watch five minutes of it, determine, do we want to do this or not? And then there'll be a script behind it and we've got whatever else you may need. Um, but we just sort of, in our business planning, we're like, there's these new emerging platforms that are going to start to do programming. And this will give us a, something really fun and different. You can just watch it and know right then and there if you want to do the show. Uh, and B, a puncher's chance 
that maybe they'll say, hey, we don't need a pilot. Just go straight to series on Amazon or Hulu or Netflix or one of these new platforms. So we thought it, it, it accomplished a lot. But it also, one of the things that, that we sort of game plan for early on was even if we had a lot of money, uh, do we offer the same deal as everybody else? What's the point of going with the new company if it's the same deal that you get from Universal or Fox Studios or Warner Brothers Television? Why wouldn't you go with the big machine if it's the same deal? I'm going to hire you to write a script that I then control. What we also had was a point of difference. We were a company all of a sudden, these, um, uh, you know, uh, jaded, scripted writer producers like I'm becoming, uh, <laughs> would come into the room and we'd be like, hey, you want to go shoot this in a month? You want to go actually put it on his feet and do it? And that they just, they weren't used to people saying, yes, let's try it. You know, they understood that we weren't a network ordering episodes, but at the very least, they got to put it up on its feet and see their show come to life. And there was a magic to that. I mean, the very, the third one that we did, which was still very, very early on in the company's growth and trajectory, um, Oliver, it was an idea that Oliver Hudson and Wyatt Russell had uh, with a writer named Craig Doyle. And, uh, and we got behind it and funded a little sizzle and Oliver directed it and Wyatt started it. And it was a father son thing. And Kurt Russell came and played the dad. And, you know, it was, it was magic and it was amazing. And, uh, and then when actors inhabit a character, they want to play that character. They don't want somebody else to come and play that character down the line. So it creates, I think, a sense of um, here's something really awesome that you can just kind of have. And look how excited everybody was because we did this on a very low budget as development. Um, and that project sold to HBO. So all of a sudden, we're now in development at HBO. And again, it didn't make it out of development. Uh, learned Learned a lot about that process. But... For me, just as a producer, all of a sudden, I'm just a couple of years into this and I've sold shows to NBC, I've sold shows to HBO. Uh, I started to get confident. Um, and then when the opportunity to take Walter's book happened and and be a part of that team, but kind of be a, a, a leader, at least from our team's standpoint, for that chapter to get it going towards uh, the the uh, te television limited series, a 10 hour. Um, I, I felt like I had done enough. I had learned it enough. I knew the players well enough uh, that I, I felt a lot of confidence uh, to do it. But then I also, again, it comes down often, you know, uh, Robert Evans, when asked, how did he become the president of Paramount? He said, I got the rights to the book. You know, he got the rights to the Godfather. And by getting the rights, he made the big movie and became the big guy. So having those rights to a book like that, I also felt if I can't do that, maybe I shouldn't be doing this because this is a story that should be told on television. And, and, and so it was, a, it was just, again, on a personal level, a perfect moment where I had, I had spent a couple of years developing scripted material, sold enough that I felt very confident in my ability to do it. It was very similar to non-scripted. It's about putting the idea together. There may be different elements. You gotta write a script or package and talent in a different way, but but not wholly different in the sense that even if you do a sizzle reel, you need a cast and you know you need to know what the show is and you need to walk in and say, here it is and here's the talent and here's everything. Um, 
and uh, and so I just I had a lot of confidence in my ability to 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 give this a to give this a real shot. I mean, like getting the rights is just one piece of it, and it's probably a quicker way in, I guess, to becoming a producer. Mm-hmm. But if I went out and I was fresh off the boat and I somehow landed the rights to some amazing book, I don't know if I can still expect to have that show on the year. No, no, I no, I get that. I agree. Yes, no. It, it, uh, uh, yes, no. Does that answer it? <laughs> no, it it, uh, it it is. You know, I'm I'm a process oriented person. I was an athlete. Uh, when I was in high school, um, and uh, and then uh, found that you know my particular OCD and ADD kind of makes me a very process-oriented person, and I feel that I'm if I do a process enough, I'll get good at it, uh, whatever that process is, and uh, and so I've never been intimidated by the idea of being, of producing stuff and developing stuff, but the process of developing and selling that I nurtured in the non-scripted space, I took the exact same kind of concepts to this and just knew this is going to be learning this process. So just do it over and over and over again. And I knew I'd make mistakes and I knew I wouldn't, sell everything. And I knew that there'd be a lot of disappointment, but, you know, we just kept going. And again, credit to, um, you know, my, my partners, Chris and, and, uh, and Jeff Cooney, who, who passed away a few months back and, uh, we're still devastated and heartbroken by that loss. And, um, uh, they nurtured me in that process. We together went on that process and, 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 and they, invested in this business in a way that also with time and energy and, and focus that it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was way more than a financial investment for sure. Um, but we kept going through that process and learning and learning. And I think I got, I got pretty good at it. You know, I mean, I, I, I think I'm, 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 I'm getting better at it all the time, but yeah, I love it. Um, the hardest part for me really was that since I hadn't spent the first 10, 15 years of my career, just in that high school, quote unquote, I didn't have an, an easy working knowledge of everyone, who all the executives are, who all the writers are. So like they, they'd say, hey, we think these six writers are, are good. What do you think? And I'm like, uh, can I tell you tomorrow? And then I'd go <laughs> home and read six scripts right. and be like the next day, like, I like that one. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we do too. Why? And I could talk about it, but I'd actually have to do the homework. And they just, you know. They, they didn't have to cram. They didn't have to cram in, in the same way that I think. Uh, by the time I left the non-scripted business, I kind of knew the personalities of the networks and the buyers, and I'd have to cram. Um, so uh, there's still a, still a lot of little bit of cramming going on on my side. But sure. So I guess then, what would be your advice to 25 year old Sam, right, or 25 year old starting out today, or new in this business? You took a pretty circuitous route, still like the stock market, you know, up, 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 but not a direct straight line. You know, I don't. I, I don't want to speak for you, but I can't imagine that you regret, you know, any of the decisions you made. But what would you tell 25-year-old Sam? Go get into scripted right away or just follow the path that you follow? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a great question. And I'm, I'm going to answer it in sort of two separate parts. Because on one hand, you know, uh, I, I don't have any regrets in a way because it's been this journey and I'm here. And, you know, 
I, I love the ongoing challenge of things. And yeah, we're still in Beverly Hills. Here we are. You know, you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to be sitting doing what I love to do, what I wanted to do, the way I wanted to do it uh, with, with a show on the air that I'm so proud of and all the opportunity around and be like, oh, well, could be better. But on the other side of the coin, um, you know, two things. One, I, the advice would be... Um, very personal advice. That's what I mean. It, w- it wouldn't really be career advice. It would be deeply personal advice that, you know, buy a house earlier kind of thing or, you know, things that just, that I think any older self would tell a younger self, you know, don't sell that AT&T stock kind of thing. Um, uh, but I have a, f- a, a, a friend that I've uh, made in the last decade um, who, who's become a little bit of a mentor to me. Uh, and he is uh, in a totally different business, totally other universe uh, of, of American society and, and business. Uh, but he's a, he's a great CEO and, and a real leader. And he, he teaches leading and he writes about leading. And, and, and I've learned a lot from him. And, and he once said to me that, you know, when you're young, and this is advice I would give people, younger, you know, people that are 25, say, uh, be thoughtful about where you set your compass. Think about what you want to be down the line, not what you want to be next week or next year, or even maybe in five years. Think about what you really want to be down the line, because the winds are going to blow you off course. You know, maybe, you know, 1%.001% of the people just get on a track and stay on it forever. Most people in this business, I think, go on a circuitous route and have moments where they want to refigure out what they want to do and then reapproach it and attack it from everything they've done. And, and, and so for me, uh, the advice that I would give is sort of advice that I got when I was even younger than that um, uh, from my dad and, and reaffirmed by my friend Jim, you know, which is think about what you want to be when you're 50 years old. And aim for that. And then every time you get off course, reset yourself to go back towards that. Because what ended up happening to me, really, and you know, it's a happy ending at the moment. Orson Welles said, if you want a happy ending, you got to choose very carefully when to end the story. (laughs) But, uh, but uh, is that I kind of thought back in my early 20s, when I'm 50, I want to have my own company in Hollywood, and I want to be producing things I'm really proud of. It was kind of that broad, but that specific too. And I am still a few years shy of that mark, but I'm, I'm on the way to having that exact thing at that moment. So then it starts to make all the circuitous parts of this journey, all the getting blown off track, all the tacking across the lake instead of sailing in a direct line, it starts to make sense. That when I wrote for the Daily News, you know, the newspaper, I was A, learning how to write. I was also learning how to tell stories in a concise way. I was learning a lot about humanity and people in, in intense moments. So those lessons translate now. When I was producing TV commercials, I was learning how to deliver, getting it done day in and day out, whether they be $2 million TV commercials or $18,000 radio commercials. We're getting them done, getting the contracts right and the talent done and getting it finished and delivering and learn that that's really, really the difference between successful producers and others are the ones who get it done as opposed to the ones who talk about it. And so that, that meant everything. And then making our independent feature and not getting distribution for it, but then we get it on, we figure this model out to distribute it online and or through the internet. And all of a sudden that gets attention and I end up back in Hollywood and 
now I'm in the TV business, but I'm not quite in the part of it that I dreamt about as a kid, but yet that was an amazing chapter. And then it led to this. And so I think, I think the advice is, you know, it doesn't mean you have to know exactly, exactly, exactly who you want to be and what you want to be, but think about what you want to be 25 years down the line. And, and that way, when you get blown off track, you're not so frustrated that why am I, if I want to have a company in Hollywood and right now I'm 28 and, you know, making TV commercials, it, 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 it'll, it gives you the space and time to get where you eventually want to be. Um, so I guess it's just about being patient. You know, you have to have a certain amount of impatience in terms of wanting to get up and work really hard and fight the good fight and disrupt shit and, and do things. Um, but I think also having at least a, a long-term goal that you know you're working towards that makes all the present tense crap make a little bit of, have a little reason. Sure. All right. So not looking all the way into the future like that, what do you think is next for you? I mean, I'm sure the rooms are a little easier now because you know these people. You obviously have a massive success you can point to. Does it feel different being in these rooms now? I mean, do you? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, that, again, that's a very personal thing. Not a, I don't, I don't know if other people feel different when I'm in the room that, you know, but I, I know that, um, all of it aside, this is something that is an accomplishment that, that meant more to me than I realized it would. It's probably a good way to say it. You know, I mean, I'm an Emmy nominated producer and I'm an Emmy nominated producer of the type of program that I dreamt about doing my whole life. So that, again, that instills me with a, a great deal of confidence. Um, it, it gives me a sense that if I ever have to go do something else in life, okay. You know, uh, um, again, this is a little bit of a tangent, but my brother had this conversation with me when this happened about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and, and that it's really about going and slaying a dragon and kind of coming back to where you started without any monetary gain. But now you know you can go slay a dragon. That's the hero's journey. Well, I now know I can slay a dragon. I slayed this dragon. And so um, it's very natural to just set the bar and say, okay, I understand kind of what this process is. I know how to do this process. What are the other stories that I want to tell that I can maybe be a part of? And yes, when you take a book like Isaacson's book and it becomes something like this, the, the, the agents and publishers on the literary side take note. And so I'm someone now that has shown the capacity to do that. So, you know, I, I won't give you a laundry list of the IP that we now are developing, but you know, there are six or seven books that we now have options on right now that every one of them is a dream to me, uh, whether they be the person that they're about or the, the, the literary um, uh, significance of the writer of the book. It's, 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 it's wow time. So for me, I, I want to do this for a little while. You know, I'd like to get a few of these books developed and on air. Um, and, uh, and just kind of do this. I'm enjoying this right now. And, and I'll know when it's time to either stop, uh, because I'll know, or someone will tell me, right? <laughs> you know, but, but right now it's, it's really just about the next book. You know, now it's about proving to myself that this wasn't, uh, that this wasn't just beginner's luck, that, that, that this is, this is the level that, uh, of, of material that we can nurture and really get on air. Well, you're hardly a beginner. 
you know, you're probably at least a junior in high school now. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the end of your sophomore year. Maybe we're around in second. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully you're in this high school for more than four years. So yeah, 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 totally. um, this has been fantastic. And I'm sure there's other great moments coming your way. Well, thank you, Noah. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. So there you have it. The true story of genius. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you to my guest, Sam Sokolow, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening. Please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind.